Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. These two were faithful slaves of the Lord during their entire Christian lives and have become patterns to us of ones that counted all things lost on account of Christ. Witness Lee completed his most comprehensive work called the Life Study of the Bible just before going to be with the Lord in 1997. This program combines short excerpts from his original speaking, along with some of our own comments and fellowship. And as always, we'd like to hear from you with your thoughts or answer any questions that might arise while you're listening. We'll repeat this contact information at the end of the program, but if you have a pen right now, jot down our toll-free number, which is 888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or you can reach us by email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. We all know the story from Numbers chapter 13. This is the story of 12 spies that were sent in from the 12 tribes of Israel to spy out the good land before they entered the land. We know that 10 came back with one report, while 2, seeing all of the same pieces of information, had an entirely different report. Well, this story is often used as an example of men of great faith, but on today's life study, we'll see that two were living in a realm where faith could be produced. Stay with us. Gary Evans has joined us for another life study from the Book of Numbers. Gary, welcome back to the program. Chris, there is no joy greater than fellowship in the Word of God. Gary, we've come to this well-known passage today in the Old Testament, but it's one I would say that is not often considered with a full understanding. This story of the 12 spies that Jehovah commanded Moses to send to spy out the good land, and the nation of Israel by now had been brought to the edge of uh, the Jordan River, across the river from the good land. Maybe you could set up the program with a quick review of this passage. Well, here in Numbers 13, the children of Israel have been brought to a point. They're right at the edge of the good land. Now, they've passed through a lot of things. They've experienced the Passover lamb there in Egypt. Then they experienced the living water from the rock and the manna that fed them. Then they experienced the tabernacle and the offerings related to the tabernacle. So they've come to a point where they've had many experiences of the things of God. But now they're on the borders of the spacious good land about to enter into something that's going to change their whole life. And at this juncture, God tells them to pick a spy from each tribe and send 12 spies to spy out the land to see what kind of land and what the cities are like and what the people are like. And it's at this juncture that we join the program today. Gary, if we really want to understand this passage beyond just an example of men of faith, as I referred to in the opening, we have to realize that all the steps that the Lord had brought the people through, these things you mentioned, the Passover and uh, the eating of the manna and the water that was flowing from the rock, all of these correspond to our own experiences of Christ at various levels. But they all have the same goal that God has for us today, and that is that just like the children of Israel, we would eventually possess the good land to the fullest extent. And we've seen on a number of previous programs, haven't we, that the good land is really just a picture of the very Christ himself. 
Well, yes, that reminds me so much of the verse in the Old Testament in Joshua 14.1. Joshua tells the people of Israel that this good land is their inheritance. Now, Chris, what I really like about this is that Paul uses this same word in Colossians 1.12. He says that Christ is the allotted share, the allotted portion of the saints in the light. What that means is that Christ is our real inheritance. You know, if you were a Jewish believer back in those days, and you heard Paul use this word, the allotted portion or the allotted share, you knew that he was talking about the Old Testament good land as the inheritance of God's people. And then in Acts twenty thirty two, Paul says to the elders there that he commends them to the word of God, which is able to build them up and give them their inheritance. This word inheritance refers to the good land. So, Chris, today our inheritance is not something physical. It's not the material good land. Today, for us New Testament believers, our inheritance is a wonderful person, the God-man, Christ Jesus. Hmm. Gary, why don't we join Witness Lee? I think this portion today will be opened up in a very marvelous way for all of our listeners. God's economy is altogether centered in the all-inclusive Christ. This good land typifies the all-inclusive Christ. This is our goal. This all-inclusive person. But you have to realize we may enjoy him in a very shallow way. Just enjoy him as our Savior. You got saved. But this doesn't mean you have possessed him as a good land. Could you see in typology? When the children of Israel were saved in Egypt, they accepted Christ not as the good land. They accepted Christ as what? As a little land. As the Passover, a little lamb. They sprinkled the blood of the lamb for their redemption. And then they ate the meat, the flesh of that lamb for their life supply that they can walk out of Egypt. That's all. Just a little lamb. Then they got into the wilderness. They continued to enjoy this Christ as heaven's manna. And then they went further to enjoy this Christ as a living rock to be cleft to throw out the living water. Still, they haven't touched the good land yet. They have enjoyed this Christ step after step. Then eventually, they built up the tabernacle, which was also Christ. They had Christ. They enjoyed Christ every day. They entered into that Christ to fellowship with God. They enjoy the shoebread table, the lampstand, and the incense altar, and the ark, all these things. But still not good land yet. They have enjoyed all these things, but they have not enjoyed the good land. So they still have to enter into the good land. And I do believe you all have participated at least part of these things. The Passover, the manna, the rock, the living water, then Christ as tabernacle, Christ as all the offerings, so much. But 
we have not entered into Christ as a good land yet. No, not yet. We're on the way. Gary, I really hope our listeners can uh, be brought into this message today. What we're seeing here is a progressive view of the Christian life depicted by these experiences of the children of Israel. Redemption, being the Passover lamb, of course, is the first step. And this is the free gift of God, and it results in our being born again, our being saved. And this really pictures, typifies Christ as our Passover lamb. But many believers don't go beyond that wonderful step, that beginning step. And I think that's what this portion is really trying to enlighten us all to, isn't it? It is. If you see that the good land in the Old Testament is the greatest type of Christ, that opens up a whole new view to the unsearchable riches of Christ. Our Christ is a wonderful person full of all types of variety that we can experience him in. And this goes along with Colossians 3.11, where Paul tells us that in the one new man, that's the church, Christ is all and in all. In other words, like Witness Lee says, he's the all-inclusive Christ. God's intention is that Christ be certainly our Redeemer, but not only our Redeemer, not only our Savior, but our all-in-all. Just as the good land, Chris, met all the needs of God's people in the Old Testament, today our Christ, this wonderful person, meets all our needs. And you see, Chris, in the Old Testament, in that progression, most of their experiences were miraculous. They were miraculously delivered out of Egypt. The manna was a miracle. The water out of the rock was certainly a miracle. The rock following them, that was a miracle. But when they came to the good land, they entered into another realm. They entered into another stage where their experience of Christ was detailed and daily and the result of their cooperation with the Lord. So all the things in the good land just show us the details of Christ. I'll give you one example. In the good land, you have wheat. Well, the wheat, we know from John 12, typifies the death of Christ. And barley symbolizes the resurrection life of Christ. Because we know that in the Middle East, barley is the first grain to ripen in the springtime. This shows us today that we can enjoy Christ in limiting, killing, crucifying situations as the grain of wheat, and we can enjoy Christ as the unlimited resurrection life, as the real barley. It's a wonderful picture, Gary. Uh, You know, I want to add to uh, what you were saying. I think most of our listeners probably realize, but it doesn't hurt to... uh, to review it, that the manna ceased once the children actually entered into the good land, as you pointed out. Now, instead of manna, they had to labor on the land to produce the barley and the wheat and all of these rich crops that typify these richer experiences of Christ. So this is not to denigrate or in any way put down the miraculous things that the Lord does in our life. But really, he desires to bring us even beyond those, doesn't he? Yes, often we think that the height of Christian experience is a miraculous experience, when actually, in God's view, the height of Christian experience is the normal daily experience of Christ in all the details of your normal human living. Okay, Gary, we want to go back to where we really opened the program today, and that is now that they're at the door, to so to speak, of this wonderful, all-inclusive good land. The spies are sent in. They all come back, all 12, and two have one report, 10 have another. We're going to address that in this next portion. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Now, 
children of Israel have been brought to the border of the good land. They can just cross the line and got into it. But God knew their heart and put them on a test. And it was God giving the word that they should send 12 spies to spy out the land. God did this because God knew their heart. According to Deuteronomy chapter 8, there God told the children of Israel that God did it purposely to test them out. And that exposed them to the uttermost. And God's eternal plan, as we have pointed out again and again, was altogether centered on this all-inclusive Christ. This is on the positive side. But on the next side, in the whole universe, God has an enemy. The enemy seat. God's will could not get through on this earth. In the heavens, there's no problem. But on this earth, there's no way. So we have to pray that God's will could be done on the earth as it is in heaven. The children of Israel, they didn't know this. Their consideration was only for their purpose. They consider about their safety, about their peace, about their existence, and so forth. They never thought a bit about God. So what they did was a total abhorrence in the eyes of God. God was not only offended. You see, God was offended to such an extent that that offense in the eyes of God was an abhorrence. We be careful concerning our daily life, concerning our jobs, concerning our safety, concerning our security, concerning this and that. Yes, we are human. We should uh, consider right. But don't forget, behind this scene on this earth today, it is not just a matter between you and God. It is also a matter between God's enemy and God. If you only care for your security, for your future, for your safety, for your peace, for your existence, for your good living, for you, for you, for everything for you, I tell you, this may become an abhorrence. Gary, this is um, a very strong word, a very sober word really referring indirectly to these 10 that came out with such a terrifying, frightening, and uh, somewhat cowardly report. And he is implying that this report was due to the fact not just that they were short of faith, but another condition that I'd like you to contrast with the somewhat the standard or common understanding of this passage, that these 10 were just short of faith, but really a focus in their lives that produced that as a condition. Yes, the real problem, Chris, was not their shortage of faith, but their wrong focus. I think you said it well. You know, in us, naturally, we have no faith. The problem in many of our daily life situations is not that we're unable to muster up faith, but that our focus is wrong. You know they were told to spy out the situation, and this was God's word to them, but it was a test to them. And many times we also are tempted when we're confronted with a problem 
to spy out the situation. You know, I think maybe Benjamin Franklin got his idea on how to make a decision from these spies. This is exactly what he said to do. What you do is you put you make two lists, a list of all the positive things, and then you make a list of all the negative factors, and you weigh them together, and whichever list is the longest, you go with that. And that's exactly what these spies did. They said, well, this is good, this is good, oh, but this is bad, this is bad, and we better not go in. And so sometimes we do the same thing in our daily life. We weigh the factors, even though we know the Lord is leading us a direction, we still study it. And we make a little list, maybe just in our mind, and we consider. We're spying out the good land. That's what we're actually doing. And it was because their focus was on their own interest, their own concern. They were concerned for their safety and for their existence. And likewise, when we believers have our focus on our 401k plan, our social security, our retirement account, the neighborhood that we are going to dwell in, when our concerns are on just these issues, it's no wonder that we're short of faith because our focus is on ourself and our own existence. But when we have a focus on God's eternal purpose, my faith doesn't need to be mustered up. Faith rises up from within because our focus is right. Yeah, we're going to, I think, underline and highlight that last point, Gary, in this final segment. But the warning that even our over-preoccupation with our daily necessities or our daily desires can be not just an offense to God, but an abhorrence. This is a strong word. I think all of us as God's people today really need to let this word penetrate. Why don't we go back to Witness Lee? I'd like to uh, stress this one thing to y'all. Don't think... Where are God's children and God is for us? Surely God is for us, no doubt. But where are for whom? You have to think about this. Some Christians, they don't have any idea about God's interest, about God's gain, about God's suffering. They don't have any idea. Whatever they talk about, they think about, they consider about, is all the time they themselves. If they would think a little bit for God's interest, they would say, God, as you are so good to us, you have been so good to us, we just love you. We like to sacrifice our future. We like to sacrifice everything for your purpose. If you could get through for your purpose, we just forget about our benefit. I tell you, here faith is produced. Could you see the because you are so much for yourself, it is hard for you to have any faith in God. You are totally for yourself. How could you have any faith in God? If you say, I'm for God, I'm there for God, I don't care for my future. I put everything aside, like Paul did. Such a person, spontaneous faith is produced within him. So, i like to impress you with this one point. We are weak. We are weak. Telling you the truth. I don't have any faith. And I don't believe anyone among us could have any faith. Faith is of God. Faith is in God. Faith comes from God. But we have to learn to take care of God's interest. 
never consider what's your benefit. This is the consideration of the Gentiles. But it should not be our care. Our care should be for the care of God. We should care for Him. And history tells us all the people who take care of God, they become the giants in faith. Gary, all believers desire to have more faith, and we try all kinds of things to have our faith increased. But here was a word, I think, that would shock most of us. The way to have faith produced in us is to take God's interests above our own, develop this. Yes, I think that is such an inspiring word and such a calibrating word. What we need to take care of every day as we rise up is our focus and not trying to solve our problems and not trying to muster up faith to attack our problems. The problem is not our shortage of faith. It's our wrong focus. I think so many of us can testify that when we care for God's interest and when we care for his eternal purpose, we're people who are full of faith. When our attention is on the Lord, his person, and his concerns, we love him and we are giants of faith. But when our attention is on our own material needs and well-being and entertainments, we become pygmies. I like John Nelson Darby's quote from the 19th century. He said, Oh, the joy of being nothing and having nothing and caring for nothing but his interest here below. You know, John Darby was able to do so much through his life because he cared for God's interest. He was a man full of faith. And I was also thinking, you know, there's this passage that a lot of believers skip over. It's in Exodus chapter 2, verse 12. Moses is there with his eye on his own interest. He's thinking that he's going to be the leader of the people of Israel, and he cares about what they think about him, and he also cares about his position in Pharaoh's court at the same time. And it says that before he hit the Egyptian, it says he looked this way and that way. You see, that's a testimony that he was not a man of faith, and he was not full of the Lord's presence, but he looked to see if anyone was looking. He didn't have the confidence of someone full of faith because his focus was on his own interests. But 40 years later, when he's sent back to Pharaoh, he goes face to face with Pharaoh as an old man, but now as a giant of faith because his focus is on God's intention and not his own future. And throughout church history, you can see story after story of men and women who, when their focus was on God's plan and God's interest below, they were full of faith. And we know that Paul was a small man, a lot smaller than Barnabas, yet he accomplished so much in his life for God because of his focus. Even Witness Lee, we know also was a small man, about five feet, four inches tall, Yet he also persevered throughout his life to pioneer a furtherance of the Lord's move. And how was he able to do that? Because he also had his eyes on God's interests below. And these are patterns to the rest of us to follow. 
Gary, your recount of Moses' experience, uh, the difference in that 40-year period was not a lot of spiritual successes either that got him to the point where he would be a man of such great faith. Actually, in the wilderness, uh, those 40 years, the Lord was really stripping him of all of his uh, human successes and accomplishments. So the road to faith is really a road whereby our focus gets changed. That's right. I think that's uh, the overwhelming point we come away from today's program with. Exactly. We're out of time. Let me point out the printed life study messages that accompany this program, a number of other resources that if you enjoyed our fellowship today and the ministry that we heard and have shared, we'd love to uh, get information into your hands about how you can have more of this material for your own study and your own research. So contact us, our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121. Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Gary Evans today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his Life Study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witnessly speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.